Listening to the coffee hour, I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is a new month, and that means it is time for us to dig into God's Word. We're going to take a look at the April issue of The Lutheran Witness and Searching Scripture with Pastor Oliphant in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. Joining us today to study God's Word, Pastor Tony Oliphant from Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. Pastor Oliphant, welcome back to the Coffee Hour. Pleasure to be here. It's been almost a month since we've talked, and it is time to dig into God's Word in Searching Scripture in the April issue of The Lutheran Witness. You've written a Bible study for us to dig into today in Philippians chapter 2. Anything you'd like for us to know about Philippians chapter 2 and the text that we're going to be looking at today before we dig in? Today, I mean, we're going to be looking at something that's very appropriate for this season of the church year as we're, as we're in Holy Week, and we're taking a look at the passion of our Lord. Paul is going to be framing everything in these terms of humility. And so if we think about the humiliation of Christ, that's really going to help us understand what Paul is telling the church in Philippi here, and also to us today as we're following in our Lord's footsteps. Very good. Do we want to read through the text? It's Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Would you like to read through that before we dig into our questions today? Yeah. Paul writes, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by, ma- by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is a very popular, is that the right word? Common, well-known, there we go, well-known part of Scripture. So I'm really excited to dig into this a little bit more in our next few minutes together. So let's start with question one. Read Philippians 2 verses one through two, your translation may say, if there is any encouragement in Christ. The word if could also be understood as because. What four things are given by Christ according to verse one? How have we received these blessings? And then the second half, according to verse two, what three things in the church are a result of Christ's gifts? What effect do these gifts have for Paul? And what effect do they have on all members of the church? Should we start with the first part of that question on verse start one? Start with the first part. This is another one where I, I was sneaky and uh, put a couple of questions in there. So, But yes, so we have this translation here, if there is any encouragement in Christ. And of course, we know full well that there is encouragement in Christ. This is Paul's entire letter to the Philippians is 
both a thank you letter and it's also a letter to encourage them to continue walking in the path that they've been led on thus far. And so, of course, there's encouragement in Christ. And so uh, Paul's statement here is not like a conditional, you know, if we happen to find any encouragement in it, but because we have this encouragement in Christ, any comfort and love. So then we have these, uh, the comfort, let me back up, because we have all these things in Christ. We have these things that, that are given to us as a gift. In verse 1, we have the encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation from the Spirit, and then affection and sympathy. These are the four things that are given to us. So this encouragement, this, you know, where we're being strengthened on the path that Christ has already set us on, that we understand these, these, these things that he's led us to are good. And so we continue to chase after them. We have comfort from love that we have this, this, these acts of self-sacrifice that are taking place in the church. Of course, you know, it's this self-sacrifice that's prompted Paul to write to the Philippians in the first place as they've given this gift to him for the benefit of the church. And so this comfort that we have from both from the love of God in Christ, where he gives his son as a sacrifice for us, but then also the comfort that we have of knowing that we're surrounded by a community of believers who have been blessed as richly as we have, that we're looking out for each other. Of course, that'll come up in a couple of verses here as well. So we'll save a little bit of discussion for that. Any participation in the spirit. This word participation is really rich that, that you know, we're we're in we're involved in the work of god that god is pulling us into his work that we're serving as his hands and his feet in this world that are going out serving our neighbor and that that when we're serving our neighbor it's god doing work for those around us and then as jesus tells us whatever you've done for the least of these my brethren you've done it for me and so then we're we're serving god god is serving others we have this participation in the Spirit. We're bound together in the Holy Spirit. And the way that this happens, of course, is through the things that the Holy Spirit has put into the church that bind us together. First and foremost that comes to mind, of course, is the Lord's Supper, where we have this participation in the body and blood of Christ, that we're bound together as one body in Christ. And then the Spirit then animates the body so that, we, so that we're able to function as And then this this then manifests itself in this affection and sympathy that we have, that, that we're able that you know, it, it's this thing that's been pointed out a number of times that when the Martin Luther points it out as well, that these, these seemingly little parts of the body, like our pinky toe, uh, you know, we stub our pinky toe and the entire body will respond. Right. And so we have this same sort of thing going on here. We have this sympathy that, for all the members of Christ that if one of us is hurting, then all of us are hurting. If one of us is rejoicing, then all of us are rejoicing. And that this actually plays itself out in these 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 acts of affection, these words of caring. And then of course they're gonna they're going to come together not just in words and nice feelings about each other, but also in sacrificial acts of love. All right. And then the questions on verse two about these gifts. Right. So the uh, three things that we have in the church that are a result of these gifts, that they, that where the rubber hits the road, that we have the same mind, the same love. And then the third one is being in full accord and of one mind. Um, Paul, he writes them to, he writes them to complete his joy in these things, that this unity in the spirit is what 
brings Paul joy. Being able to see the Philippian congregation functioning as one for the benefit of those who are around them, the benefit of their fellow church members all around the ancient world as they're sending these gifts. Um, you know, we, and we have, uh, we have this same thing here in our own Lutheran church body as well. You know, there's this phrase being of the same mind, same love, full accord and of one mind. You know, we're bound together by the book of Concord, frequently known as Concordia, right? But Concord or Concordia actually comes from this term meaning uh, hearts together or with one heart. And this is just echoing exactly what Paul says here in Philippians 2, 2, that we have the same love, that we have the same mind, that our doctrine is the same, that we're, we're speaking the same words of truth in the world, and that these same words of truth then are going to be reflected in these, these united acts of love and service, being of the same love, uh, being in full accord, that, that our will and our intention is the same to, to have faith in faith toward our God and fervent love for one another as we pray every week in the divine service. And that this actually brings joy to Paul. Paul's able to watch this Philippian congregation grow up in the faith and then able to see the maturity of that reflected in both faith or their one mind, their doctrine, and then their love, the, the, way, that, the way that it intersects with the world that they're in. Ready for question two? I am if you are. All right, read Philippians <laughs> chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. What is Paul's definition of humility? How does this contrast with our natural tendencies due to original sin? Also really read Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Are any of these works of the flesh repeated here in Philippians? How many of these works of the flesh could be restrained by considering others more significant than ourselves? All right, so the, the second question gives away a little bit of the, the first one's answer. But Paul's definition of humility that he writes here is he writes, count others more significant than yourselves. I, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less or something to that effect. And Paul here is saying the same thing. Count others as more significant than yourself. You know, this is going to contrast greatly with the way that we look at things in the world where Paul's talking in the very first part of verse three about exactly what the world's view is. Sin is that, that curving in on ourselves, where we're going to be very focused just with our own interests. We really don't care what God has to say about a situation. We really don't care what it's going to cost or how it'll affect others. And so Paul's writing, don't do nothing from rivalry or conceit, this kind of being curved in on yourself and worried only about yourself or your own faction, but count others as more significant than yourselves. This is what humility is. And that is going to really grate against everything that we know just as fallen human beings. You know, if we're going to look at the way that fallen humanity views the world, you know, it's going to be survival of the fittest, right? It's going to be the, those who are going to focus on themselves, it, you know, looking out for number one, all of the nice cliches that we have associated with that. But Paul's going to say here to count others as more significant than yourselves, to put others, people's interests ahead of your own. This also is going to run very counter to what we think too. It's just our, our own natural tendency to want to look to our own interests, to do things that are going to be good for first and foremost. 
And so, but Paul's going to be, this isn't the only time he's going to talk about that. The second question says to take a look at Galatians 5 through 21, where we have this laundry list of works of the flesh, those things that the natural fallen, fallen sinful man wants to do. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Now we're getting to some of the things that are repeated in Philippians. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And so this list that Paul's mentioning in Galatians, it's going to be repeated here just kind of in thumbnail sketch form, focusing really on the rivalries and dissensions, the self-centeredness of a human nature. And you know, the works of this flesh, if we're considering others as more important than ourselves, that's going to help rein in some of the things that is mentioned here in Galatians 5 and also Philippians 2. If I'm worried more about other people's interests, if I'm worried more about whether this is going to benefit my neighbor, then that's going to help me sidestep some of the things, some of the dissensions, the rivalries, wanting glory for myself that that's going to help me understand that it's not about me. I'm not the center of the universe as curved in as my original sin makes me, but it kind of forces me to open up my eyes and see the other people that God has put around me. We are searching scripture in the April issue of The Lutheran Witness with Pastor Tony Oliphant of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are searching scripture in the April issue of The Lutheran Witness with Pastor Tony Oliphant, and we are in Philippians chapter 2. Pastor, are we ready to go on to question 3? Yes. All right. Paul now turns to describing Christ's divine and human natures to explain why we follow his example of humility. Read Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. What does Paul say about Jesus' divine nature? What does he teach about Jesus' human nature? Also read Genesis 3, verses 4 through 5. What is the serpent's temptation to Eve? How does Paul's description of Christ in Philippians 2, verse 6 act as an antidote to this temptation? So Philippians 2, 5 through 7, is it's a just wonderfully written, beautiful passage. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is, you know, Paul has been spending a lot of time talking about getting over our our inward focus, the, a sinful nature that's going to cause us to be self-centered. And Paul could do what the world does and tell us, you know, just try hard, just, you know, change a couple things about yourself, work on yourself, 
whatever it is. But that's not the route that he takes in talking about the way that we overcome our fallen nature. Instead, he's going to point only to Christ. He's going to say, you know, have this mind among yourselves, which, you know, could start out as a, you know, just change your thinking and then you'll change your behavior. But then he says, no, but it's, the mind is already yours in Christ Jesus. You already, you already have this because of what Jesus has given you. And then he talks about his divine, his divine nature here. Though he was in the form of God, though he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, that he wasn't striving to, you know, determine the best, to determine what was going to be best for him to, to rise above everybody else and kind of be sovereign. He doesn't do this, even though he has this divine nature that's his from the beginning, but instead, according to his human nature, he makes himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, sharing this human nature with man. And this is going to be really important because the very first temptation that we have is in Genesis 3, 4 through 5, where the serpent says to the woman, you know, she says that if they, if they eat of the fruit in the middle of the garden, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or then they'll die. And he's, and the serpent says, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And this is a temptation that the devil knows works very well on us. He ha- he doesn't have a deep bag of tricks. It's because his, the deceptions that he have has have worked so well. And so, you know, this first temptation is to be like God. And Paul's description of Christ here in verse six, that he doesn't consider equality with God a thing to be, that this is an antidote to to our temptation that Christ has already overcome this. He didn't fall for the same temptation that Eve did in the garden. And so we look to his victory, we hold on to him, and then we recognize that, you know, if, if Christ doesn't consider, if Christ who is God, doesn't consider this equality with God a thing to be grasped and you know, chased after, then why would it be for us? But rather we would have the same mind as Christ, which he's already given us through his sacrifice. All right, question four. All right, Philippians 2, 8, that being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, if we're going to take a look at putting, looking at other people's interests ahead of our own, this is going to be the greatest example ever. Christ doesn't, he doesn't think himself too important or glorious to undergo this death on a cross. Even, I mean, Paul says even death on a cross, even death that's reserved for the absolute worst filth of criminals. Jesus doesn't count himself too, too important or too great for that. So this this is going to set the tone for the way that Christians are going to behave, that nothing is going to be below us when it comes to serving our neighbor. And Jesus is going to mention this. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go into the second part of the question here. Luke 9, 23, in which Jesus tells us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So if Jesus is willing to count others as more significant than himself by dying on a cross, then are his followers, those who claim to be following him in his footsteps, we're going to do it too. This also teaches us humility, that our that our our life of service might not always be pleasant, but if we're putting other people's interests ahead of our own, then that's going to teach us that that, you know, the the cross is actually good for us. The cross is good for our neighbors, and it's going to mortify that sinful, self-centered human flesh, and it's going to be for the good of everyone that God has good planned for.
Are we ready for question five? I am. All right. When we talk about the earthly life of Jesus, we can describe his humiliation and his exaltation. His humiliation has been discussed in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. Now read verses 9 through 11. What is included in in Jesus' exaltation? Does any of this sound familiar? Hint, think of the Apostles' Creed. And then when do we expect to see the events of verses 10 and 11? Even in Jesus' exaltation, to whom does Jesus give glory? And what does this teach us about when we receive glory? All right. So verses 9 and 10 should be pretty familiar to us. And we'll have a lot of from the creed reflected in this. You know, the creed is drawn directly out of scripture. It's a nice summary of what we have. But God is exalting Jesus, bestowing on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, we expect to see this. We don't see it now. You know, the, the church is still, our glory is still hidden in the cross. At Christ's return, though, that's when we say that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We're not looking for like a grand era in this particular fallen age, but we're recognizing that when when Christ returns, that's when we'll see every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there's this little phrase at the end, to the glory of God the Father, that Christ, even when he's glorified, still is putting the interest of others first, including his heavenly father, our heavenly father, that he, even when Christ is being raised up above everyone else, it's still to the glory of God, the father. And this teaches us that, you know, we also at times will receive glory, will, will be applauded. And that this teaches us that when we receive that, that again, we kind of serve as that reflecting mirror to take everything back to our heavenly father, because every good praiseworthy, noble thing we have in us is coming from him. It's coming from Christ giving these things to us, trading them out for all of the bad stuff that we have, trading it out at the cross. And so the only thing we can do then is to give glory to God whenever anybody will see something praiseworthy in us. All right. With just about a minute left, Pastor, would you like to summarize or wrap up what we've studied today? Yeah, that our human our human nature is always going to be looking for ways to make itself God, a little God in our corner of the universe, God over our own hearts, where we're going to want to take God's job from him and think that we should be running things. But here we're reminded that that's not our place. It's not our job. Christ, who is the son of God, empties himself, gives up everything in order that we would be saved. And this is going to be reflected in our lives in the way that then we would put others ahead of us the same way Christ has put us ahead of himself. Not in a salvific way, but as those who are following in our Savior's footsteps. Our guest today for Searching Scripture in the April issue of The Lutheran Witness, Pastor Tony Oliphant of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. Pastor Oliphant, thanks so much for writing writing this great study for us and spending some time here on The Coffee Hour. Pleasure as always. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.